I begin, I just want to preface by saying this is not a sermon on marriage or uh, romantic love. So you just hang with me for a few moments. I heard this a number of years ago. You may have heard it as well, a poem. Nice night in June, stars shine, big moon. In park with girl, heart pound, head swirl. Me say love, she coo like dove. Me smart, me fast, me never let chance pass. Get hitched, me say, she say, okay. Wedding bells, ring, ring, honeymoon, everything. Settled down, married life, happy man, happy wife. Best time in life. Another night in June. Stars shine, big moon. Ain't happy no more. Carry baby, walk floor. Wife mad, she stew, me mad, stew too. Nagging wife, bawling brat, life one big spat. Me realize at last, me move too fast. What I want to talk to you about this morning is intimacy with Jesus. And as I said, while it's not a sermon about marriage or romantic love, it is a sermon about love. And I believe that the opening words of this message and the images associated with it can serve as a picture of what sometimes happens in our relationship with Jesus Christ. What you start with if it's not maintained and if it does not if it's not fed and and grows uh, then it will gradually be replaced with other ingredients of life and intimacy with your loved one will eventually decline and decay until it is lost altogether we all know people that have seen that happen in their marriages, in their families, in their homes. And uh, I want to tell you that we as Christians following Jesus Christ are in danger uh, of just such a thing happening to us. And tragically, it can often happen without our realizing. It sometimes happens to, uh, to husbands and wives where the intimacy and the romance that existed in the early days of their marriage, life began to happen around them and, and husbands get consumed with their jobs and their careers and wives get consumed with their children and, and the other activities of maintaining a home or maybe they have their own career at times. And what often happens in those situations is children grow up and then leave the home and then a husband and a wife find themselves themselves living together uh, alone again under the same roof and realize that they don't have a relationship. And tragically, the same thing can happen without our realizing it in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, this may not be the first scripture passage that we think of when we talk about intimacy with Jesus, but it's a passage that God used this past week to speak to my own heart about my own intimacy with Jesus Christ. And it is the message of the Lord Jesus to the church at Laodicea in Revelations chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, we read these words, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see." Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I don't know much about how the church at Laodicea started. But it would seem to me like most churches, they probably had a a fairly positive beginning. I'm sure there were people in that church who loved Jesus. And I know typically when we think about preaching or scripture that addresses our loss of love or loss of intimacy with Jesus Christ, we probably think about the church at Ephesus where Jesus told them just a a chapter prior to the one we're reading from, he said to them, I have something against you because you have left your first love. But something struck me from this passage about the Laodicean church so strongly in the past few days. And Jesus begins talking to them as with the other seven churches. Uh, many of them, Jesus begins with a commendation, that is a note of praise and encouragement, and telling them the things that are positive about themselves, the things that they, they have going for them. This is what you have, this is what's good about you, but I have something against you. There's nothing positive about what's going on in the church at Laodicea. Jesus doesn't commend them for anything, but he jumps right in by saying to them, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. In other words, as a church, they have lost their vigor. They have lost their vigor. He said to them that I wish that you were either cold or hot. This might sound odd to our ears because we think that spiritual coldness would not be a good thing. But we need to understand that Jesus 
uh, always speaks to us in terms that we are able to relate to. And that's exactly what he was doing to the church at Laodicea. He was speaking to them in a way that they would be able to connect with. You see, one of the greatest weaknesses of the town of Laodicea is that they did not have their own water supply. They did not have their own water supply. Near to them was the town of Colossae. Colossa had a cold, pure water supply of their very own. Not too far away in another direction from Laodicea was the town of Hierapolis. Hierapolis was known for its therapeutic hot springs, was rich in minerals, and uh, it, it was, it was uh, a purifying influence. It was supposedly good uh, medicinally. But Laodicea had no water supply of their own, and in order to supply water to the community, they had built aqueducts and piped water in from a distance, so that by the time it got to the town of Laodicea, it was so mineral-laden from having traveled through stone pipes and had cooled off to, a, uh, to an unpleasant, uh, tepid temperature that it was nauseating to drink and often caused people to have upset stomachs. And this is what Jesus was referring to when he spoke to the church at Laodicea and began by saying, you have lost your vigor, you are lukewarm. I wish that you were either cold like the, uh, like the refreshing springs at Colossa, or I wish that you were like the hot springs of Hierapolis where you were spiritually healing and had the benefit of that, but you are neither one, you are lukewarm, and because of that, Jesus is literally telling them, you make me sick. They had lost their vigor because of their, their uh, replacing, their losing their intimacy with Jesus Christ had been replaced with something else. Not only had they lost their vigor, but they had lost their values. They'd lost their sense of value. Uh, in Not their sense of values, their, val their values, the things that they emphasized that had value to them. The beginning of verse 17, Jesus addresses them and says, You say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I have need of nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable and poor. This is another way in which Jesus was addressing the people at Laodicea in a way that they could directly connect to. You see, the community, the city of Laodicea was the primary center of baking for the region of Asia Minor. It was a very wealthy uh, city. Uh, it was uh, located along central trade routes, and as uh, Merchants came and went. The, the wealth of the city built up in a dramatic way. In fact, Laodicea was so wealthy that after an earthquake virtually destroyed the city, they refused an offer of financial assistance from Rome and chose rather to rebuild their city with their own resources and their own money. 
You know what happens around here when we have hurricanes and earthquakes, and one of the first things that happens is the, the federal government offers financial aid, and I don't know that I've ever heard of anybody turning that down. Laodicea was so wealthy that they said to Rome, we don't need your money. We can take care of ourselves, and they did, and they rebuilt their city bigger and better than it had been to begin with. In a book titled Influence, a man named Robert Cialdini tells a fascinating story about the owner of a jewelry store who was having trouble moving some of her merchandise. Specifically, she had an overabundance of turquoise and silver Native American jewelry. The owner of this jewelry store had done everything that she could think of to try and sell this these particular pieces of jewelry. She had tried every conventional sales trick in the book to make it more appealing. She had placed it in a central display case and asked her sales staff to push these particular items. But nothing seemed to work. Finally, one day, as she was on her way out of town for a business trip, she scribbled an exasperated note in frustration to the store manager telling the manager to cut the price in half of everything. And she said, everything in this display case, price times a half. But something interesting happened. The manager misread the note and thought that it read everything in this display case, price times two. And so instead of cutting the price of everything by half, they marked the price up of everything and doubled it. And do you know that by the time that jewelry store owner returned from her trip, everything in that case had sold? Instead of slashing the original price in half, they doubled the price. And we think, how in the world did that work? The man who writes this book about influence explains that people never questioned the true value of the jewelry. They just assumed that an expensive price tag must translate into very valuable jewelry. And so they were quick and ready to pay the price. This is what I'm trying to tell you of the people at Laodicea. They had valued certain things more highly than others, and their, their material affluence and material wealth had gotten to be so important to them that uh, they said, we don't need anything. They had, they had been caught up with the affluence of the society in which they lived as a church. And they said, I, I'm rich. I have need of nothing. They had lost their vigor. They had lost their sense of values. Not only that, but they had lost their vision as well. They had lost their vision. Another thing that Jesus tells them in verse 17 is that that you don't realize, but you are blind. You are blind. This is another way in which Jesus was speaking to the church at Laodicea in terms that they could directly relate to because in addition to being a center for banking uh, of the region of Asia Minor, it was also a center of medicine. 
there was a medical school located in Laodicea. And they were known for a number of things, but one thing more than any other, and that was their eye salve. They produced a, a, a tablet that in that day and age was shipped all around the world and considered to be a universal remedy for people with weak and ailing eyes. And it's as if Jesus is saying to them, you think that in what you have available to you in your community, you think you see yourself as you are, but you don't realize that you are really blind to your true condition. It's disturbing to think that I, as a Christian, can get so caught up in the routine of living my Christian life. And I'm not talking about losing my religion, so to speak. I'm not talking about any of you losing your religion. But what I'm talking about is getting so caught up in the routine of just doing life, doing the Christian life, doing the right things, doing it the right way. That we can come to a point where suddenly we realize that Jesus seems far away. I remember reading a number of years ago, hearing about a man named K.P. Johannan. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that name. But he was a, he was a man from the country of India and uh, became an incredibly uh, powerful and effective missionary and evangelist ministered for decades uh, across the country of India. At one point, the missions organization that he served under was recognizing him for his years of service. I don't remember exactly what milestone it was, perhaps 50 years, I don't know. But uh, it, was a, it was a significant milestone. <clears throat> K.P. and testified that as He had gone through this time of celebration where they were honoring him for the way that he had faithfully served the Lord. He said that at a certain point he'd kind of gotten off by himself and began to pray and talk to the Lord a little bit and say, well, Lord, what's next? What are we going to do next? What's the next big project, the next big thing? And he said he felt as if the Lord spoke to him and said, all these years you've been so busy serving me. I'd like for you to take some time just to get to know me. Often, friends, I think we can be so consumed with the busyness of life. And I'm telling you, even things like reading our Bible and praying every day can become mechanical and routine. Lost vigor, lost values, lost vision, fourth, lost vesture. Jesus said to them, you are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. This is yet another feature of life in Laodicea that was very familiar to the citizens of the town of Laodicea. It was a a center of uh, textile industry. And the countryside around Laodicea was well known for the sheep 
that were raised there with a, a glossy, shiny black coat and wool. And the businesses in Laodicea that utilized this wool made at least four different types of outer garments from the wool, which by the time it was woven and processed, it had a glossy violet hue that was highly desired and highly valued around the world. These garments were exported all over the world at that time and was one of the sources of the great wealth that Laodicea enjoyed. All of these things that the people of Laodicea and the people of the church at Laodicea was familiar with that, that led them to this point that they felt like, I've got everything I need. Jesus lumps it all together and says, you say, I am rich and have need of nothing. I've prospered, but you don't realize that you are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. These sound like harsh words, like a harsh address. Yet it's so encouraging to know that after Jesus speaks to them in this manner, he continues and says, I counsel you, in verse 18, to buy from me. Don't rely on the wealth and on the gold of your material society that will perish and pass away, but buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. In another place in the book of Revelations, it refers to the white garments as the righteousness of the saints. And he says, come to me for salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. And friends, it's a wonderful truth this morning to realize that we may have heard or received what sounds like a harsh message from Jesus, yet in the midst of what sometimes sounds like harshness, there is a redemptive aspect. And Jesus is saying behind and underneath all of that, there is an eternal love for his people that longs for intimacy. More than just religiosity, more than just us going through the motions. You see, the Laodiceans had traded being rich in the righteousness of Christ for the poverty of material riches and affluence. They saw themselves in the light of the worldly society that had infected them rather than seeing themselves the way Jesus saw them. They may have been well-dressed in the fashions of the day, but they did not have the white robes that represent the garments or the righteousness of the saints. And Jesus says to them, oh, if you'll just come to me, I have exactly what you need. While Jesus offered them the solutions to take care of their symptoms, I think that the most serious problem is the first that Jesus mentioned, that they were lukewarm. They were lukewarm. I don't know of any real romance that would ever be described with the words lukewarm. 
real romance is just not described in those terms. When we think of a love story, a real romance, we, we think of you think of fire and heat and passion. You can smile at me, it's okay. But you see, all that they had lost at the church in Laodicea that Jesus speaks to them about are only symptoms of a deeper problem. And it seems to me that the issue that they really needed to deal with was their loss of intimacy with Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you why I believe that. It is because of this verse that I read to you in closing, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. We usually think of this verse in evangelistic terms, and it certainly is useful for that, that, that we use the verse to appeal to non-Christians and tell them, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart and wants to come in. Just open up the door and let him in. But friends, the primary meaning in the context of this passage is nothing to do with a sinner that needs salvation. But it has everything to do with a church that once knew Jesus in a deeper, more real way, and they had shut him out and replaced him with something of lesser value. They'd gotten so wrapped up in all that they had that self-sufficiency replaced intimacy and dependence on Jesus. I'd never thought of this before, but it's interesting as I think of this verse, I studied this verse this past week, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and will open the door, then I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. There's another verse in the Old Testament that is similar. If I were to ask you to guess, probably I'd be surprised if any of you guessed the reference, but it's in the Song of Solomon. Now, there have been historically debate over what the exact meaning is of the, the book of Song of Solomon and, and the significance of this book. Some people say that it's a picture of the romance that Jesus wants with his church, and I believe that's probably true. It's also simply just a rip-roaring romance. If you are ever interested, just it, it can be embarrassing to read. You know, it's not the kind of book you want to read. You know, when you're sitting in Sunday school and everybody's taking a turn reading through the, a verse of scripture, you may not want to do Song of Solomon unless you're just really comfortable with each other. But there's a passage in Song of Solomon, chapter five. And verse 1 is the voice of the man speaking and says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And then verse 2, you hear the voice of the bride, the voice of the, of the young woman responding. 
And she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking. And he says, open to me, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. But she says, I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. You know that, that feeling of your heart leaping within you and your breath catching in your throat? Some of you may have to think a little farther back than others of maybe what it's like to be in love. And the excitement of that moment of realizing that that one that maybe you haven't seen for a while, you're about to be, you're about to be reunited again. And that's what she says, verse 4, My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I rose to open to my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. Now, can I ask you to just keep that picture in your mind? And then go back with me to Revelation chapter 3 and hear the voice of Jesus saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice, oh, friends, there, there ought to be something within us that our breath would catch and our hearts would leap and say, oh, my Savior, my Jesus is knocking and wants to be with me, wants to spend time with me. And he says, if any man will open the door, then I'll come into him and we'll sup with him and he with me. Friends, it's this that we are created for. It's this that Jesus longs for in each one of us. That it's not religiosity. It's not going through the motions. It's not, and, and some of us may think, you know, well, pastor, you know, I'm not affluent. I don't have plenty of money and I don't have fancy clothes like the Laodiceans. And I'm never going to have that same kind of problem. It, it doesn't have to be the, the affluence of, of material prosperity and wealth. It, it can simply be the checklist mentality or the routine of following Jesus. The routine of, of the Christian life. This past week, God has dealt with me about my own walk with him and lack of real intimacy with him. And I don't know if I, if I can even express to you everything that I feel that God 
has talked to me about, but he's talked to me mostly about this idea in relation to my prayer life, that, that so much of my praying has been about kind of putting the money in the vending machine, so to speak, and hoping to get out what I want. And, I, and I, I'll have to tell you that my praying is not characterized by asking for a lot of, of, of material things or fluffy things, things that, like, you know, you think of a vending machine, you think of going for a bottle of pop or a candy bar or whatever. And I, I'm not talking, I'm not saying I'm asking for those kinds of things, but I'm just saying the mentality, the things that I'm asking for uh, or seeking for in prayer, my, my praying, God is, has convicted me about my praying being more of coming to Him and asking for things rather than coming to Him just simply to spend time with Him, to be with Him in prayer. I ran across a song just yesterday that I hadn't heard for quite a while. I didn't even listen to the whole thing, just a, a few words, but it impacted me and has come back to me a time or two since then. It was a, a, a song written by Dottie Rambo, and she wrote these words, I didn't come here to ask you for anything, but I just came to talk with you, Lord. And oh, friends, I, I just want to tell you this morning from the bottom of my heart that I don't want anything ever to replace or cause me to lose that longing, that desire for intimacy with Jesus. Pastor, how do, you, how do you get that kind of intimacy? I've, I'm beginning to find that it's simply a matter of doing what Jesus said to do. If any man will open the door, then I will come into him. Simply open the door and invite him to come in, not to give you what you ask for, though he cares about your needs, but simply to be with him. I'll close with this. A, a, a pastor I heard speaking just a few days ago spoke about the need for real intimacy with Jesus, and he was comparing it to his relationship with his wife. And he said, I talk with my wife periodically throughout the day, often. And he said, we call if we need to talk to each other or may send, be sending each other text messages or things of that nature. And he said, we're just, we're in contact throughout the day. But he said, it's something completely different when we come home and we sit down at the supper table together and we enjoy a meal and we linger and we chat, we communicate with one another and we're just together. And friends, God wants more from you and from me than just those times that we talk to Him about what we want or what we need. We need those times where we are just with him. We say, Lord, what would you want to talk to me about?
Let's stand together, please.